I want you to meet Jonathan Carone. Jonathan used to feel stuck with his marketing business, but everything changed when he became a StoryBrand certified guide. This happened just a few months ago, and listen to his story now. In 2015, I started my own business as a web designer and logo creator, graphic design, basic marketing. And by the time 2018 rolled around, I was honestly bored. I got to the point to where I could create a pretty decent website, uh, design a nice looking logo, and all the things that built a good business for me. But I had reached a level of client and project ceiling that I just couldn't break through. And it was about the same time that a friend of mine was going through the StoryBrand certification process and he told me about StoryBrand, I instantly fell in love. Fast forward a few months and September 2018, I went through the guide certification process and I haven't looked back. In the six months since going through the certification process, I have uh, grown my business by over 35% compared to the year before. And I've made about three and a half times my initial investment back solely on story branded projects. That doesn't count all the other work that's coming in. That's only on projects that I can point directly to and say, story brand, help me get that or help me get that price. So if you're wondering if you should do story brand, if you should become a certified guide, my answer is absolutely resoundingly yes. If you have a business and you're looking to take it to the next level to help more people to bring in better clients, then by all means, do what you can to become a StoryBrand certified guide. If you are ready to scale your marketing business like Jonathan did, work with clients who will pay more because they understand your value and become the consultant that everybody wants because you deliver such great results for your clients, you need to become a StoryBrand certified guide too. Apply at storybrand.com guide. That's storybrand.com guide. Welcome to the Building a StoryBrand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. J.J. <laughs> Peterson. Hi, Don. Buddy, congrats. <laughs> Thank you very much. You are much. Dr. J.J. Peterson. I am. I am now. That is so exciting. <laughs> We've been waiting for this for, I say we. I have suffered so much in waiting for you. Yes. Eight years. Nine, almost. Nine yeah. years of yeah. uh, work and preparation. Yeah, and you I are took now a few years <laughs> off, but the whole time was I started nine years ago, which is insane. And you just, last week, defended your dissertation. I did. Uh, they loved it. You had some minor corrections. Corrections, yep. and anybody knows about that, a minor correction means you really aced it. Yep. They gave me some few minor revisions and said, we don't need to look at it even after you make those. So just submit and you're done. <laughs> and I would love for you to just read it on the air because it's a giant <laughs> ad for StoryBrand. It, it turned into that because <laughs> it was just like, yeah, this actually... This actually really works. Turns so out it was on, just to let everybody know, it's on the yeah. StoryBrand framework. And is it why it works to make people money or how well, it works? So it's basically, I connected it with communication theory. So showing how it kind of not only is grounded in all this research that's gone on why story is important and, right. and how story works to move branding forward. But then I also talked about how StoryBrand actually moves those theories forward. So into the differentiator was... Here's the practical, tangible way it yep. actually does. Like things like, you know, fancy terms like coherency and fidelity and narrative transportation. <laughs> so I used those Is that theories. Uber? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. I used those theories and then showed how the framework advances. And then what I did once it was established that this is all kind of grounded and this is all historical and there's reason behind it, then I actually did a survey of our alumni 
to find out one, does it work? Does it actually contribute to your success both internally and externally? So financially, growing your business, all of those things, but then internally, does it give your team more confidence? Does it align your employees around common goals? The first kind of series of questions was, does it work? Which the answer to that was yes. Yay. And then, yes. Anybody who's yeah, ever started exactly. a business, you're like, it works. It totally The worked. vacuum cleaner yeah. is sucking up the dirt. It totally worked. <laughs> and then the second one was to really figure out, are there variables that contribute to success greater than others? So like, if you're a non Oh, that was interesting. Because the yeah. number one thing, if in a lot of our listeners have gone through StoryBrand, the yeah. number one thing that makes it work is implementation. You have to actually execute. Yeah, (laughs) execution. But I did every variable you can imagine. I did, are you a non-profit or for-profit? Are you business to business or business to customer? Or are you both? Are you a under $500,000 or over 10 million? Are you a man or a woman? (laughs) It doesn't matter. What's your background education? What role do you play in the company? Not a single thing (laughs) mattered on success. It did not. Every single person can succeed with this, which was really fun to discover. And in fact, my my advisor was like, this is almost unreal that the only thing that makes a difference is whether people implement or not in success. And I said, that's what the numbers look like for me. So he actually created new variables. He actually was like, we need to test some other things. So did one thing called exposure. So if you're exposed to the framework on the podcast and in the book and you've gone to a workshop, does that make a difference? It makes a difference only if you implement. You've got to put it in. Which makes sense. It's kind of like saying um, (laughs) this pest control thing will kill bugs, but only if you spray it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't buy it and put it in your trunk. You got to spray it. Yeah. So it was was really fun to do and really fun to kind of put together. I mean, ultimately, it was fun. It's fun now. I can say fun now. I'm not sure it was fun during it. The fun part was the survey and going through that part. Here's the magical transition that we're so known for here at the Story Brand Podcast. Uh Okay, I'm ready for this. And it's this. (laughs) You became a PhD by following curiosity and your passion. Yes. That's it. Yep. And I grew this company by following my curiosity and passion. Yes. And that's the point of today's podcast. If you follow your curiosity and passion, nobody's guaranteeing your success. Yeah. But man, it is certainly helpful if you're actually curious and actually passionate about whatever it is that you're building. And you were curious about story and how it works in the framework. I was curious about story and how it works in writing books and then turn it into a marketing framework. Yeah. And just follow that. Follow that. I would not have completed my PhD without truthfully loving StoryBrand, but also loving the people who we get to work with every day, the alumni who go through the process. I wanted to know what we were creating actually worked. Yeah. And I wanted to do it for them. And we're actually, we even at StoryBrand made some decisions based on the research. And we're upping the level of training that we do when it comes to implementation even right. in our workshops because that we're we know emphasizing that that, execution. that is what leads to success. So we're upping the level of execution. Yeah. This whole idea of following your curiosity and following passion has changed my life in many ways. A lot of you know I lost a ton of weight right, a long time ago. And one of the ways that I did it was I finally realized I hate dieting. Yes. I hate it. <laughs> I like eating a big cup of ice cream That's before weird. bed. You're not passionate about dieting? No. Weird. I'm not passionate about and there are people who are. Yeah. And they're just like disciplined about it. Yeah. No, but we the reality hate them. is <laughs> the reality is those people like eating well. Yeah. You know, they call it a sacrifice, but we really only do for long term what we like 
doing. Yeah. That's it. And so the key for me was I had to find exercise that I liked yep. and I wanted to do. So swimming and biking became that. And it's easy on joints. Yeah. And then you sit there and you realize, well, no wonder I didn't like exercise. I feel like a 90-year-old yeah. man with arthritis <laughs> running up a hill. This is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, what? You'd have to be demented to like this. Yeah. yeah. When you find the guy who's running up the hill and likes it, and I guarantee his joints don't feel like my joints. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm in a pool and I'm biking. And then I had to figure out, okay... I don't want to give up ice cream. I don't want to give up the stuff. Yeah. So intermittent fasting. I was like, I could always skip breakfast. This is super easy. And it worked. Yeah. And But the thing was, like, you got to find the thing that's going to benefit your career yeah. and benefit your life that you like. Yeah. And that's the point of today's interview. Yes. Yes, it is. And it's going to sound really <laughs> random, but today's interview is with Willie Robertson from Duck Dynasty. Yes. Who, yes. in my opinion, has built an entire career almost never asking what should I do next or how can I make more money, but literally just by going, what would be fun? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if you know Willie, that's all he's interested in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's interested in having fun. He's interested in making people laugh and having a good time. We actually went to Monroe, Louisiana and sat down with, well, you know, I got to say that again, West Monroe, Louisiana, yeah. because apparently there is a difference <laughs> between the two mm -hmm. sides of the town and mm -hmm. they are serious about it. Mm -hmm. He's in West Monroe, Louisiana. And I was so excited. We took a video team and we'll, we'll have that video out sometime in the future. We actually got on one of those rock star buses with like six bunk beds uh -huh. in it. And we went overnight and woke up in their parking lot and interviewed them and spent the day with Willie. He and his wife, his beautiful wife, Corey, were so hospitable and kind and they sat down with us. But really what I was curious about with Willie was, how'd you do this? Yeah. I mean, you literally took a duck calling business and became a celebrity. And literally, he can't go anywhere. Yeah. He went to an Alabama football game and the governor of Texas was with him. And the governor <laughs> of Texas says, hey, we've, I've been invited down the field. Do you want to go with me? And he said, man, I don't know if we should do that. And the governor said, well, don't worry. They don't really recognize me. And he goes, I wasn't talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the governor of Texas played security guard for Willie Robertson. <laughs> it's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. And he did it by having fun. People know whether or not you're having fun. Yeah. They know. They sense it. They smell oh, yeah. it. You know, they come to StoryBrand. They're like, these guys eat, drink, and, yep. you know, whatever. Story. They yep. love it. And it's just a giant puzzle. It's fun. So I'm wondering what that is for you. Today is mostly about inspiration. But the story question that you should ask the whole time that you're listening to this is, what do I love and how do I make money doing it? Yep. And then even in your job. What's the part of your job that you love and how can you do more of it to make money? And I, I don't mean because we all love money, we want money, because that's the only way it's sustainable. Yeah. And so with Willie, you know, he'll, he'll tell you the story. Grew up fishing, his dad made a duck call, had no interest in selling it. And Willie said, I think I could sell this. You know, they wanted to sell more duck calls. They did a show on the Nature Channel yeah. you know, of just <laughs> duck hunting. Well, that's an exciting, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not a duck hunter. <laughs> and then they were like, well, we got all this TV experience. What if we just did a reality show about the family? They just kept chasing fun. Yeah. They kept chasing fun and it worked out. The conversation was wonderful. Willie's a wonderful guy to hang out with. I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. We also talk about his book, American Entrepreneur. Yeah. He got obsessed with entrepreneurialism and sees it as the engine that fuels the American economy. I know Wall Street's very important. Big corporations are very important. There are 27 million small businesses. If they go down, this country's over. Yeah. And that entrepreneurial spirit. So he talks about in the book these unbelievably inspirational stories about people following their passion, doing what they love, making a ton of money doing it. Yeah. Yes, work is sacrifice. Yeah, losing weight is sacrifice. Exercise is sacrifice. 
But it doesn't feel like sacrifice if you love it. Yeah. If you just want some inspirational reading, American Entrepreneur. I don't want to belabor the point anymore. We talk about the book. We talk about following your passion. Right here, this is my conversation with Willie Robertson from Duck Dynasty. Willie, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here. You wrote a book, American Entrepreneur. It's about the spirit of entrepreneurialism. It is. And it's informative, but it's really also just super inspirational. And so anybody who's running a company, you know, a few minutes in this book and it makes you want to get up and it, like we all like doing. We all like getting do, up and makes yeah, you want to do something. Do yeah. That's that's that was kind of the thought of it. Uh, uh, we start out with our story. Um, yeah. This crazy business we have of duck calls, which I And you've told it a million times, but I want to make sure our listeners have heard it. I mean, how did you go from <laughs> inventing a better duck call to well, it was a hundreds was, of millions of dollars. Kind of like fame. the TV show that ended up happening. It was a family deal. My dad just had a passion for duck hunting and had a passion for a better product, and so uh, he actually invented a double reeded system. So all of them were single reeds, and he put two together, and he thought it sounded duckier. And it was and, <laughs> is, that the, and, is that an official term? Yeah, it was duckier. <laughs> and so he actually went to the uh, the company that made the duck calls and said, "Hey, I've got this thing. You know, you want to pay me or whatever." And they were like, "You can take that thing on out the door. That'll never work." And so that really inspired him, and he was like, "I'm going to go out and sell these things." And, did he get uh, the patent on it? He did. He got the patent on it. And uh, what's amazing about what Phil did coming up with this was then he started making his own duck calls out of wood. My dad is not a woods guy. He was never a guy who tinkered, you know, yeah. never had a shop. You know, like you're thinking, oh, he was whittling. He didn't know what he was doing. So he goes out and buys, you know, lays and starts making duck calls. He was an education major. I mean, he didn't, but he figured out how to do it. And he would sell them. He'd get in his car and sell them one store at a time. He would drive around. and Just Mostly little... we were fishing. We yeah. were, he was a commercial fisherman. You know, he had this degree, and he was going to be a teacher, and he said, I'm going to do what I want to do. And so he, he gives it all up and starts fishing. So growing up, we were super poor, and we ate fish all the time, and our income was whatever, how many ever fish he caught. <laughs> yeah, and that was here in Louisiana. Here in Louisiana, What was yeah. he? I mean, you guys aren't near the Gulf, so what was he fishing? Uh, catfish, curious? buffalo, you know, whatever was in the rivers. He sold restaurants and selling No, them. we sold them to fish markets. And so gotcha. you would go and sell them to fish markets. He ended. We ended up here, he was... Uh, technically running from the law, which was Arkansas, so he was uh, on what, some what charges up there. He beat up a couple of people. And it sounds like a Robert O'Keefe song. Uh, it's, I'm telling you, <laughs> he beat up a couple of people and uh, ends up coming here. Gives his life to the Lord, and uh, his whole life changes. And he said, "I'm gonna catch fish, and I'm gonna hopefully sell a lot of these duck calls." So, how old were you when the duck call did it take off? Under his well, he came up with the idea in the actually the year I was born, 1972, was technically when Duck Commander started, which was really just his idea yeah. and selling these things like a dozen at a time. So growing up was all the duck call business. We were all the employees. We ran it right out of the living room. We answered the phone. So at 10 years old, I would take an order for a duck call. You know, people would call and you'd say Duck Commander, and then you'd get a paper plate or a napkin and yeah. write an order down address, get their you know money or you know get right down their credit card and we'd stack them on top of a desk and mom would send them out the next day and we packaged dip duck calls all the time so had a real work ethic did, you, and, did um, the family have to figure out 
marketing, advertising, <laughs> fractional CFOs. I mean, did you watch now, that scale I, It was up? debatable whether or not my mother graduated from high school or not. I didn't <laughs> think she did, but, but we did find out she actually did graduate from high school. She ran the entire business. Dad was just like doing his thing, and, but he was also a good salesman, so like we would sell fish, and I watched him interact with people, and it was amazing. And yeah. so, so we'd catch German carp. Well, nobody likes, nobody eats a German carp, and it's a terrible name. So we changed the name to the Golden Buffalo. You changed the fish name? Yes, <laughs> a Golden Buffalo. Now that sounds appetizing. Yeah. And, but I would watch dad interact with people, and so we would take fish to a fish market, and if they needed fish, they would buy them. If they didn't, we'd end up on the street selling with a sign saying, fresh fish, like super fresh, like yeah. not clean. <laughs> yeah. And so we, you had to get good at selling That's a stuff. serious hustle. you got to sell a lot of fish to feed a family. And dad would do that with the duck calls. So he had this thing. He would throw them in an aquarium, and he'd pull them out and shake them and then blow it. So it was like, hey, you can, get the, you can drop yeah. this in the water; it'll still work. He actually had some guy. He he had some guy that worked for the police department. He blew his duck call. Then he had a real duck blow, and it was like almost, you know, exactly. And so he would take that little speaker system around, and, and we'd set up a table. We'd go to all these little shows and trade fairs, and we would sit there and sell duck calls, and you know. That's how we made it. How did you get, so that's the starting of the business. You're probably six, seven, eight, nine years old during this time. When did it become, you know, in every hunting store? Well, it, that, that happened over Slowly time. Slowly over the, time. The biggest move that we made was dad was going around, we started selling to like small Walmarts in, in towns. And so right. like here, he went up to Farmerville, sold the guy, because they can direct store by. So they would pick up 12 duck calls and say, yeah, we'll sell these. Then he would go up to, you know, El Dorado, Arkansas. Then he would drive around where he started getting these. Well, he gets up to like 40 Walmarts he's in. So the the buyer is actually looking at his numbers and going, what are these duck commander duck calls? And like, yeah. am I, I buy for the store. But So he calls up my dad and he says, Mr. Robertson, are you selling the calls in, in Walmart? And he says, oh, yeah. He goes, how did you get so many duck calls in my stores, and he goes, one at a time. <laughs> so what he would do is he'd say, oh, Billy down there at Farmville, he bought 12, and he's like, oh, Billy bought 12, and so, and he said, why don't you come up to Bentonville, goes up there, and then Walmart puts them in all their stores across the nation. So that that changed everything. Because yeah. on the back of our products, and then we started making VHS tapes of the duck hunts themselves, it had our address and phone number. So then we started getting calls from you know California and you know the East Coast, and so then business really started moving. And and Duck Commander is a great name. I mean, it was yeah. a smart name for a company. It was his buddy. They were sitting out a duck blind. And he said, "Phil, when you call, you command those ducks," and that's where it, that's kind of where it came from. So I was always kind of had a knack for business, and so I would sell stuff, and because um, we were super poor and we were in a small school. I was like, I had to make some money, you know, somehow. So I did a worm farm, which was a good business. I mean, it was because we live right. Selling worms and styrofoam containers on the side of the uh, road? I sold worms in old corn cans or tomato cans. So we kept all the cans, and so I would have them all stacked up. Dad gave me a boat that had a hole in it, and he said, you can use this. And he said, worms love manure. And so like a mile up the road, there was a cow pasture, so I wheelbarrowed manure over and over, filled up this whole boat, went out, found the worms, put them in there. And we lived right at a boat dock. We had a boat dock in front of our house. And so the fishermen would come, and I had me a sign that said, worms, nickel apiece. And uh, so they would come, and I would you know, get them 30 worms and make money. And, 
And I was like, you know. There's a mental thing that happens, I think. I didn't grow up in an entrepreneurial family, discovered that desire later in life. But when the family says, here's how we make money, we don't go to so-and-so and try to get a job at his company. We actually make something and sell it. Right. That's in the DNA of your family from yeah. the time you were a child. And stri- yeah, I mean survival. I mean, you were right, like, right. We've got we to take to this fish and we've got tonight. to turn this into money. Yeah. Or we're gonna keep eating how, fish. How did growing <laughs> so, up poor affect your thoughts about money? Your thoughts about scaling business? Your thoughts about you know hustling and hard work? What do you see there that you contribute to directly? We just because we grew I up I think poor. all of it. I wouldn't change how I grew up at all, even though. You always had the desire for things, but it just instilled in me early. If you want something, you got to work hard. One, and right. then you got to figure out, you know, a way to to sell stuff and be good. If you want those things, you know, I wanted, I wanted parachute pants. You know, my mom <laughs> would not buy me parachute pants, and uh, I wanted a perm in the back of my mullet. She wouldn't do it because it was fifteen dollars. I'm like, hey, all the guys had perms in the back of their. You know, I grew the <laughs> mullet, but it was like they got the perm on the back. Yeah. You know, and so. All these things that I desired when I was young, I figured out a way to get it. In fifth grade, I started selling candy at the school, and I was making a fortune. I started making all this money. I was making hundreds of dollars a week, you know, selling wow. candy because the concession stand only had a limited supply, and I had everything. And so I was, yeah. I was going up buying it in bulk and then selling it. Principal shut me down. Uh, he shut that business down, and. Uh, but that started that desire, you know, was to make money and try to do it better. And then when really when Corey and I got together, her family was a business family. And so they were wealthy and they had bought and sold businesses. And so her brain was business. I kind of had the dreams and like, we can go do this. But she really had all that business stuff that we never had. I mean, we So she brought some a little bit to the and table in terms started, of refining yeah, and all so, that and knowing how it all works. And I didn't think Don I would ever work in the I thought, I ain't doing duck calls. I you know, this is I'm gonna do something different. And it wasn't until I was about thirty I came back and I said, Man, I, I started traveling with Dast, came back to the company, I was working for Duck Commander, and I went on shows with him and I'd watch him speak and and I was like, man, there's something here. Like, you yeah. know, and really, his Phil's personality was dynamic and all that. And he mostly was preaching. You know, by that point, he was like just trying to get the gospel yeah, yeah. out there. But I said, I think we can make a go at this. And so it almost was exactly like it was when I grew up. We started a website, and so I went to my dad and I said, Dad, we need a website. We need to, you know, we need to sell this stuff all over the world. And Dad's like, website? We don't need no website. He said, if somebody wants a duck call, they pick up the phone and call. You know. <laughs> I said, Dad, I think one day people are going to be buying stuff. Yeah. Like, And so we started the website ourselves in our house. And so we were back to Duck Commander answering the phone and, and really made that connection with the customers. And a lot of them thought it was cool. They were like, oh, this is Phil's son just called me, you know, and I'm a big hunter. And I watched those, you know, VCR yeah. tapes when I was a kid. And so we had a lot of customers that we had had for years, you know, who loved our product. And so... You know, then we're putting pictures up on the website. We're selling stuff, and that we had in our garage. I would ship the orders, and we started it yeah. over like that. And uh, and that was a big move once we did that. And then the television. Then people were like, "You guys need to do a TV show." And so I go to Dad, and I said, "What if we did a TV show about like we could sell more products?" And Dad was like, "That's a terrible idea. You know, nobody's <laughs> gonna watch what we do." And I said, "I think they, you know, there may be because Corey was like." Well, y'all need a show, you know. And so, sure enough, we got a reality show on the Outdoor Channel, which I thought was perfect. This is our customer. It was a hunting show. It was hunting, but it was also reality. Right, right. So the producers they had, it was a shotgun company, but Nally, but they had producers that had done reality TV. Gotcha. So me and they those guys got together. In. We were like, oh, this would be funny if we did this. And that. So we start doing that in. Phil's doing the 
hardcore, you know, this is the shotgun. Yeah. And Phil was always about that. I was always like, let's make it funny and let's make it. And I try. I always said, edit this for women and kids. Like if women and kids are watching, because a guy, a guy that hunts, yeah. a guy can sit there and watch a deer in a field for like two hours and think it's awesome. And be completely happy, like, yeah. The mom and the kids are like, yeah, we ain't watching that. So I said, let's make it to where the whole family can kind of sit down and watch it. So we made this show. Was it Duck Dynasty from the no, beginning? No, that, that was, was called, called Duck Commander. It gotcha. It was called Duck Commander. And, uh, did that and also, I, and did I you see, start seeing even more explosive growth in the... Oh, yeah, our the, business yeah, went yeah, out, and I was like, good. oh, this was a success, and we thought it was great. And But to show you what I thought, I was like, don't show Uncle Si, because no, he's weird, and like, don't ever film him, which was, that was dumb, because <laughs> he was the deal. <laughs> and a guy, a producer in Los Angeles, saw the show, they were... Always looking for content, and he made a lot of outdoor stuff, like you know when snakes attack. You know he's right. kind of the outdoor guy in Hollywood, and saw the show. I was like, man, I think there's a big show there. The tax credits were good in Louisiana. Louisiana was like a hotbed. This so they were they wanted to bring business people. here. You yeah, had, uh, Sons of Guns. You had a lot of shows here. Billy the Exterminator. So there was a lot of uh, <laughs> characters in Louisiana. You yeah. got the tax breaks, and so he sent me an email to the general information box at Duck Commander. So. As a CEO now, as you run your business, you never know what comes through there. Here comes an email from a producer in L.A. My secretary brings in and says, Willie, you want me to throw this away or do you want to call him? I said, I'll, I'll call him. And called him up. We talked for an hour. And then it wasn't a it, few months later we were shooting pilots for Duck Dynasty. I want to get to that in a second because everything changes there. But go back. I'm curious how many people I talked to, and I think there was a little bit of this in me too early on, that thought, Money was bad. I'm curious about your personal journey in terms of you guys started making money, you started seeing it as a tool, you started doing all different sorts of investing. Was there ever sort of a, and I don't know if it's a religious thing or if it's a class system thing or it's a stay in your lane thing, but there's this little bit of a feeling like if you're making money, you've somehow sold out. <laughs> Tell me how you, <laughs> did that ever cross your mind and you broke through it when you saw the good things that you were doing with the Never money? Or? You know, money was something that we always, wanted we thought we need more money you know but i can honestly say don even where i am now like it was never the real motivator in fact when we got more it was like well now we ha- i don't even know what to do with right right I do with this money that i have and so you know you wanted more but it was really that journey that you know i guess the competition came in there it was like you wanted to succeed at whatever it was and so it was fish at one point it was selling duck calls at one point and then as that grew but you keep continue wanting to grow that's where I kind of took the baton from dad. Dad had done, he thought it was over. And this is 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, he was like, hey, ran his course. We did good. Beats commercial fishing. And he had everything he wanted, which is what I always say is kind of one of his secrets that I learned too is that guy He's was satisfied. content. Man. He yeah. was content with what he had. He didn't look at someone as going, oh, I need that. Now I need another this. Other than hunting property, which he likes, uh, <laughs> as he got wealthy, that's what he wanted to get. But he's still in the same house. He's still, right. you know, same thing that he's doing. And so money really wasn't, it wasn't like, I want to, you know, do this. And that's where Corey and I came together because Corey, they were used to money. So they were used to having money, using money to get money. And so it was just perfect because they knew that space. And probably without that idea i don't know what you know because we didn't know how to you know manage money or it's like now Don. here's the thing because we're still in our same small town and and we were famous you know for a while and still i guess famous but now i've become 
the rich guy in the town, like one of the rich guys. And what does that I feel hate like? That. I hate that. I hate it. I'm like, I'm not the rich even guy. Even the Uber driver who took us over <laughs> here, he was talking about, yeah, he goes to church with Willie Robertson. He didn't realize he was taking us to Willie's house. And so <laughs> I said, well, you know, that's where we're going. We're going. He said, well, I go to church with those guys. They're really good guys. He said a bunch of nice things about you behind your back. And <laughs> yeah. then uh, I said, well, you know, that's where we're going. We're going to Willie's house. And so I imagine you've been there. He goes, I've never been there. You're <laughs> so nervous coming in the gate. But that's the whole town. I mean, you've got to think town, of you that way. And yeah. I hate being that guy, Don. I hate it. Because I don't have any. Because it's unnatural. It's unnatural. I'm like, I knew guys like when I was a kid, you know, I was like, oh, that's the rich guy, you know. Because people treat you differently. They they either they don't like you or they're jealous or they overcharge you, which I find that just blows me away. You know, it's like, oh, for you, it's this much more. They don't say that, but you realize you're, yeah, you know they're what's just happening. upcharging me. Or they suck up to you. So it's, you know, I don't like being that guy because I like just, you know, hey, even spared. Apart from money also, there's just the notoriety that you've gotten that there must have been sort of a progression of all of a sudden you're the guy that everybody could use a little something from. They could right. use an endorsement for a book. They could use some right. time on your whatever, you know. How did you navigate that just relationally with friendships? And uh, difficult. I mean, there were so many at the time, Don, like, I mean, the heyday of the show, it, it was, was, it was just out of control. It was yeah. out of control because of the Every way cup we, you were drinking had duct dynasty on yeah, the floor mat that you just, And because your feet I on. look the way I do, like, you can't really... <laughs> yeah, you're not going to... You can't be like, hey, I'm just a normal guy, you know, with a giant beard and long hair and a bandana on. So it was just so much. I think a lot of it, you just, you tried to hit whatever you could, but yeah. it was going so fast and we're trying to run the business and trying to, you know, so it just, it was crazy. But I did, you know, the new relationships that I met and I tried to help people out. But at some point you're like, I can't do everything. You right. Know, like, there's no way I can, you know, endorse all these books and all these things, especially because our, you know, we had a giant fan base and it was, and you and saw you're, it, And you've you got know? a big family that you're trying to stay close trying to, to manage, also. Yeah. Trying to manage everything. And the difficult part for Corey and I we were also the negotiators for the entire family. So, I mean, it's a lot of pressure. Because it's not just me. things like? Contracts, business stuff, television. Yeah. So you're talking about doing it for your uncles, your aunts, my brothers, my sister-in-laws, their children, my parents. So if you miss, you're like, it's not just, ah, oh, we missed on that. You know, it affects everyone and so uh it was difficult that and with was, the stakes that high and there's a lot of money on the line there's not a notoriety on the line some people are getting more attention than others on the mm -hmm. air some people don't want to be on the air that's a lot to negotiate i can't imagine negotiating all that with a family and try to keep a family together there's a lot of you look at a lot of well-known families and they've just right. fallen apart right. you know probably upwards of 50 percent of them what were the pillars that sort of kept the family together I mean, how big was faith in all of that, too? Faith was the number one. Going into this, our faith hadn't changed at all. We just we have a bigger platform now. And so we all saw that, man, we can really get the gospel out. We can, there's things that and we... And that was a unifying, apart from just oh, that, yeah. that's a unifying we had that, thing that keeps the family yeah. humble if you go toward back a bigger years, mission, Even right? in this town, if you go ask people about our faith, and it was very devout. Dad was, you know... Very devout. We were raised that way, and so we felt like you know um, it was number one, and still is. And so hanging to that is what helped you know keep the family. And we we would you know certainly we'd argue, and there were things that would come up, and you know, but we all knew, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're moving on to heaven. We think there's something bigger than this anyway. So that was before the show, after the show. Now, practically, what happened, like day to day. I had become the CEO of the company, 
So it was natural. Everybody kind of looked to me anyway, and Corey, they kind of looked to us to run the business, and most of them worked for us anyway. So they were used to that, you know, kind of how that went. So when we would sit down, I just would lay stuff out and say, this is what they want to do. It would get difficult the more it went because some people are like, like, you're talking about dealing with a guy who's 70 as opposed to somebody who's 22. Yeah. And there may be different goals, you know. And so dad would be like, and dad was sick of the show within six months. You know, he's like, I'm done with this. You know? <laughs> I got kids, you know, 25 years old from Los Angeles telling me what to do. Uh-uh. You know, even me, it was difficult because I'm like, I'm the CEO of the company. I run the company. You know, I got a 21-year-old kid saying, hey, get over here, you know, yeah. change that shirt, do the, you know, bring some more energy to the table. You know, and I'm like, who are you telling me? You yeah. Know? So uh, navigating that was, you know, kind of difficult. But we did meet before the show even happened. We said, look, guys, we're going to make a show. We had a little catchphrase with us that if you ever started, you know, drifting off, you know, we'd kind of yell the catchphrase out to say, remember, you know, the catchphrase is remember the Alamo. I think so. I came up with that. And I have no idea why. But it kind of, when you heard remember the Alamo, it's kind of like, oh, yeah. Remember yeah. the mission. Yeah. What was fun about it now was like we all were rising at the same time. And so it wasn't, most people I know, and you know a lot of famous people as well, whoever that famous person is, it's like just that person. If they're a musician, if they're an athlete, if they're an actor. So the whole family ends up being. You know, it's all about that guy yeah. or that girl. Yeah. With us, it was all the same. So if you ever got the big head, it was like, oh, I'm so tired. You know, it's so hard. You yeah. Know, taking so many pictures, it's like, yeah, save it. I just did the same thing. You know. Yeah. So we were all doing the same. Th- so you couldn't really come in. And That's like, really nice. It's so exhausting. You know, like, uh, you know, like a musician may say, oh, I had to play all these shows, and you don't, you know, and nobody else is in that circumstance. You become the kind of a little G God, you know, because everybody works for you because you end up yeah. hiring everybody. But we all did it together, and so it kind of kept us together. Plus, we stayed in the same town. That was huge. So we didn't have to move to Nashville or Los Angeles or New York. We stayed in West Monroe, Louisiana. Every, you know, Population what? To the church. Uh, 10,000? Yeah, probably 15. I mean, but the Monroe and West Monroe, which is two totally different towns. There's a river in between them. <laughs> probably about 60, 70,000. I mean, so it's... Yeah. Most people that come here are like, wow, this is way bigger than what I thought. Because on the show, it looks super tiny. But... uh. So just having that, you know, kids from the same school, you know, we didn't have to uproot and leave. We left a lot to travel, but I think that kind of kept yeah. us grounded too. You know, it was like, hey, we're in the same town. And so There's that thing a lot of people don't realize the power of a family having a mission. If the mission is the family, it's not going to work. The right. family has to have a unifying thing that right. is its reason. And, and then everybody started their own little things, which was, it was cool to see, you know, because yeah. everybody kind of started a little business or started right. something. and. So everybody kind of created their own little kingdoms, which is, you know, it's normal and natural. And so because we all had different interests, you know, as far but the faith, that was always, you know. But mine was a little more business. Mine was because I was running a business. And so I'm curious, um, what do you bring to the table as CEO? CEO is one of the few job descriptions that can look a million different ways. <laughs> and different CEOs just bring something different to the table and tend to staff their liabilities. But when when your staff talks about you, they would say, the real gift that Willie brings to the table is X, is our CEO. I don't know. I can't. Me becoming the CEO, to be honest with you, was a joke. It was like an inside joke for us because our company was small and we didn't even think about it. So 
it was the CEO was like the joke, like, oh, he's the CEO. Right. Yeah. You know, which I, I was like, yeah, I'm the CEO. And so, you know. But that became a real title very It quick. became a title. <laughs> and so it was like, he, you know, like, when I get introduced, I was like, he's the CEO. And I smile every time. I was like, that's so funny because it's still. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, we wanted to make it sound bigger. So we wanted our company to look bigger at the time. Like, you know, we were like, oh, this is a giant company, which it was small. It was just yeah. a family company. So it was more of a joke. I don't know what I bring to the table. I mean, I still look around on them going, I probably don't belong in this space. I probably don't even, yeah, you know, I'd rather someone else tell attributes about me than me try to figure out what they are. I, th- be- I think I can get people together and I can lead. I can make a decision. And so that separated me from, you know, from a lot of the family members is because I can just make a decision and say, that's it. We're doing it and no regrets. And we move that way. And if somebody has to be fired, I can fire them. And so, you know, that leadership, you know, I think is there because some of my other family members they're like I don't want to do that you know and, yeah. and dad never wanted to talk to anyone else so he was just always this mysterious guy who ran this company everybody knew he was religious he had this beard but it was like he never went to any other business meetings he never talked to other companies he didn't like what's working for you what's you know right. he wouldn't listen to a podcast he wouldn't he doesn't have a phone he doesn't have a computer so he was so isolated and he just did what he wanted to do, which was hunt, he became so good at it, which is the genius, because he became better than everyone else, you know, because it was that's all he did. He was, all he, he was focused and said, I want to get as many ducks as I can, and I want to get them as close to me as possible. And if you take off with just one singular thing, you can get really good yeah, at yeah, that yeah. thing. So it took me to go, well, hey, I'm going to call some other companies. And, and then I remember strolling in there going, hey, guys, guess what? Somebody's going to pay us to wear their clothing. And we all high-fived and dang, we're like, we're getting paid, we're getting paid. And they're like, somebody's going to pay us to shoot their shotguns. And they're like, do we get free shotguns? Yes. And we jump around and we're like, I mean, so it was the little things that were like, but that's what I started bringing to the table. And that's when dad was like, good night, Willie. He's he's a genius. You know, he's yeah. figured out these ways. And really it was just companies going, hey, you guys are good at this. We had a but look. you were going in and negotiating those deals. I you were going, going in. Yeah, Corey and, and I were going in and negotiating. So that's the part deals. of the like one of the skill sets. Just from our friendship, I know one. There's probably not very many warnings. You wake up and you don't know what we're going. Right, you're somebody yeah. who always knows where we're going. Right, which is a prerequisite to make decisions. Right, but then also the ability to say, you know, instead of trusting fate or whatever to bring a shotgun company to you, you're the kind of guy who goes, we can deliver value to these people. We can right. help them sell a lot more shotguns. And being confident about that and knowing that you can. And But then I think you also have to be open to someone else, you know, giving some input as well. Right. And so before you figure it all out, because when we went to interview for the, uh, do the TV show, now this is the one on Outdoor Channel, the guys are gonna pay for the whole thing, we're going to get our products displayed. And I'm like, I've figured this out, you know. Go to Daddy's. He's like, it won't work. I said, well, I don't care if you think it won't work. I mean, this is free advertisement. Yeah. And then Corey goes, well, I think they should pay y'all. I went, pay us? And she went, yeah, I think they should pay y'all money as well. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, that is way, <laughs> like, we're getting free advertising. We're getting, you know, they're going to put us on this television show. And she goes, well, I'm going to ask them to pay y'all. And I said, you're going to screw this deal up. You're totally going to screw my deal up. You know? And she goes, what will it hurt? And I said, all right, well, you can ask them, but, you know, I mean, be ready to walk. You know, be ready yeah. to say, okay. So we get in the meeting, and so he's like, okay, we're ready to shoot the show. And Corey goes, uh, oh, one more thing. Um, I think you should pay Phil, Jason, Willie, you know, like a talent fee. And I remember just, I was like, I can't believe she just said that. And the guy goes, what are you thinking? She goes, 
I think they should make $30,000 a piece. I almost choked when she said, I went, that's $90,000. And I look at her and the guy goes, okay, no problem. And I was like, we should have said 50. I read, but right there I was like, wow. I mean, she just, she, she was like, have you adopted that now? Have that. you learned that from oh, her? Heck yeah. Well, then I go, so we flew up to D.C. to do that meeting. We fly back in. I come strolling in the living room. I was like, hey, we're going to do a TV show. And guess what? We're going to get $30,000. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's like, oh, my goodness. What? Like, and I was like, oh, yeah. Well, I thought, you know, I think they should pay us some money. Yeah, yeah. So good to see you. Yeah, yeah. You took credit for that real fast. But I think that was, you know, for Corey and I, she saw that opportunity. So right there, it set that in like, this is worth money. Yeah. Like, people will pay. And so, yeah, it helped tremendously. By the time we go meet, you know, with Duck Dynasty, when that's coming along, we're going, hey, we can. You yeah, know. you're worth a lot. Well, yeah, I mean, because you realize, you know, that you're making people money and you're doing what you're doing, which we didn't know what we were doing that was that people wanted to watch, but we knew it was there. And so uh, Corey and I worked just together because she was always the one who, did the details and all that, and she enabled me just to go and just say, hey, let's let's do it, sell it to the family, which was the hardest part, Don. The hardest part was convincing other people because I think there was a lot of fear with our family. It's like, eh, you know, it's like that fear was holding you back. Like, right, oh, right. What, what if people make fun of us? What if right. it's not good? What if it's in... I just had to say, look, we can't worry about that. So with some of them, I would say, do you want to make money? But you why know? were you able to not worry about it where somebody else might worry? Because we can't worry about it Obviously, that comes from somebody who doesn't naturally work. Right. You know, do you have the kind of personality that well, if I get into trouble, I can get out of it? You know, we're not stuck there. We'll just we'll, yeah, we'll, I think we'll create I, that opportunity I think that's tomorrow. That's true. Yeah, I, I kind of you know, again from our faith, you know, it's like, hey, what well, we've got a bigger purpose here. Why not try something? And, and you are not afraid to fail. No, not no. Oh, I'm, well, I mean, t- I walk me through. Time, so. Well, yeah, walk me through that because you talk in the book about just the importance of understanding. You know, failure is such a huge part of it, and even Edison talked about the number of times he failed, and that's the key. It's the yes. key is not succeeding; it's failing and getting back up. I'm curious as you guys started to scale, it couldn't have gone well every day. There had to be stuff that you just went, "Ooh, this is tough." Oh, in the business? Yeah. How do you handle failure? Well, we. <laughs> I mean, in fact, the biggest failures were way past, once we were giant, because we grew so fast, uh, it was, I tried to calculate the growth. It, I mean, we're talking about, we had a meeting, and Corey said, I think we need to order more duck calls before the show, because when the show hits, I think people are going to buy duck calls. And I said, nobody's going to buy a duck call, like... It's a specific product for a thing. Like right. nobody's gonna buy that. Like some guy just to have in it as a souvenir. Seattle's not gonna. Go, hey, you know, I think I'll buy one of them duck calls. I saw them on TV. I said, I don't. She said, I think we should. I said, well, order some, but not a lot. The show comes out. <laughs> it's like I never. We're just standing there at the printer, and it just starts printing orders. And I mean, so the day before the show, we probably did twenty-two orders. The first day, twenty-two the show, duck calls in a day. In a day, which we isn't did. very many. Now, this is after Duck Dynasty or after. So the day the show airs, Duck Command, Duck Dynasty airs. Yeah, twenty-two before Duck Commander show. We probably had two a day. Wow. Then we go to twenty-two a day, which is good. Now in the holiday, in the hunting season, they go up. Show came out March, I think. Show comes out. I think we had twenty-two hundred orders that day. Wow. Then it was, 3,000, wow. then it was 5,000, then it was nonstop 
it never stopped. Do, were you able to create those duck calls? I mean, <laughs> there was the where were they thing. being made? We were still making them. It was oh, the guys God. on the show were making. So now you got a serious. So now we're filming. You got a great opportunity with serious problems. The nature of our show is that I'm the CEO. My guys are all goofing off. They're never working. That's pretty much Doug Dynasty. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm mad all the time. That's the okay? shtick, yeah. <laughs> so can you imagine when somebody orders the calls for Christmas and they don't get the calls in, now they're getting little Johnny there who can't right. wait On to the have a duck call. Yeah. So I'm getting calls going, for real, Willie, you go in there and make them work. <laughs> this ain't funny anymore because I'm waiting on my stuff. Our computer totally crashed. We lost, uh, how many orders did we lose, John D? That, like 12,000 orders. We got their money and then lost their order. So you don't know who to ship them I don't to. Know who to I don't know what they ordered. And you can't refund their money because you don't And I can't know. refund, I don't even know, like, it's gone. It just completely crashed. I'm like, oh, these are good problems. No, this is, I had to go online and do, like, little videos going, look, I promise we're trying our best. We were running 24 hours a day. We had people shipping at all hours of the night, packing boxes, just... I mean, Moral of the story, success isn't very it's smooth. Not, uh, <laughs> and how were you going to know? We didn't, right. we didn't know if the show would get picked up again when we started. And now, all of a sudden, we're having to ship all these orders. And so, yes, it was insane. I mean, the licensing stuff, like you're talking about, like in Walmart, like we were in like 15 different departments, which is crazy. I mean, hunting, yeah. fishing, clothing. Were you the one flying out meeting with Under Armour and yeah, flying out and meet with all the, I don't know who else you got to deal with, Shimano or whoever, but are I you was, the one flying out and negotiating those things? Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, we already had contracts, like through our hunting stuff, we had contracts with, so you you know, know, with Under Armour, with the right. Eddie. So we had our hunting products, you know, with our guns and shells and all that. But now there's all these new, which that brought value as well. So now, because now we're wearing, I'm arguing with them over the shirts I'm wearing, and they're trying to cover logos up, and then they're trying to sell advertising as well right. to them, and then I'm negotiating. We have two different brands. This, this will blow your mind. We have a brand of Duck Commander that we own. A&E owns Duck Dynasty. We don't own that brand. Hmm. So I'm in the market competing with my, my faces on both products. And they're licensing one, Duck Dynasty out to... One, I make the money off of all of it. One, I make a small percentage of the money. That was really tricky. And so with the failures we had, I mean, we... Uh, I mean, I still have inventory that, you know, somebody bought that was like, oh, because at the sales pace we were selling, you know, if you project it, you're like, oh, this is how many you need. But then... Right. And it was weird. I was like... Everything got out there. Everything was in the market. And then it just went, okay, we got it. We're good. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, what was that experience? Well, it was like, still it was, a lot. Was it, it went, literally, did it feel overnight? It felt overnight. It just felt. Was it because the show was off so the air? It got so saturated because when I was, everybody that could put a product out there, put it out there. It was like, we got it. And now we don't need as much of it I remember walking through a anymore. store and there was a, a welcome <laughs> mat with your face on it and a cup down the hall with a, your yeah. face. I thought, my goodness, this is crazy. I was on a loofah. <laughs> I was on, uh, I was on uh, uh, children's underwear. Uh, uh, my face was on that. It was just crazy, the products that... Uh, was A&E doing that? or was? Oh, yeah, yeah. They were, you know... Well, A&E had never... Part of the problem. They had never had a brand yeah. like this. I mean, yeah. all of a sudden, now you've got the hottest brand in America. They were like... Hey, we'll make this. We'll make that. I was like, yes, 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 yes. Well, so, what? so, you're so if I'd done it myself, but I don't even have time to think about it, Don, because I'm trying to make a TV show every right. day. So I'm going like 12 hours a day doing television, 
but then also trying to run this business and I'm hiring people but I don't even know like the joke was at the Christmas party was like does Willie really know you're not like I don't know who they are like right and I'm hiring every family man every <laughs> anybody connected people I went to college with it was like hey do you want a job and, and but then I didn't even know we don't know how long it's going to last we don't know how at the biggest how many people did you have working for you <laughs> like a hundred people wow Making, was, doing all sorts of things, but making no, duck probably calls. probably more than 100 because we had, I think at one time we had like 25 people just making duck calls, you know. Wow. And having the quality, making sure the quality, because, you know, yeah, a duck call may go to some eight-year-old girl who loves Duck Dynasty. And by the way, to, to finish that story, Corey was right. We should have ordered more duck <laughs> yeah, calls. Yeah, yeah. I was way off on that one. But it may go to a girl who's never going to just puts it on her shelf, but it may be going to a seasoned veteran like Duck Hunter who's like, I want this to be the yeah. best, just like when Phil used to make them back in the day. So uh, chaotic. So that when I look at me being the CEO, there's so many mistakes I made, but it was like, you know, I mean, I'll own it. Uh, kind of like Chick-fil-A like I said, like I'll own it, but it was almost impossible to do all those tasks right. at the same exact time and be there. So... Um, that so had yeah, to be a we, transition too of getting your business to run itself so that you can Well, yeah, do other and having things. people you can trust, you know. Right. Because people have businesses, but when you throw in the fame and celebrity, it changes too because you don't know who's coming, who's angling. Who because why, yeah. So I got a guy and I'm like, oh, this guy's perfect. And then I'm like, oh, he wants to be on the show. He wants to be famous. That's why he's sitting in my office. So then you got to work through that. Like it's right. not just a, a business, but it's also like, oh, we can do there. So. Had tons of failures, but I think the people around me will can attribute to that. That I just move on, and say, "Oh well, you know, never think about it again." Like, "Oh, you could have made." You just keep your feet. You could have had more money. I'm like, that's all right. We did the best. Uh, our families got provided for. I was so happy that you know everybody was able to make some money, get the platform, and now watch them doing different things. And yeah. so you know, and we'll see what happens with that. But the face still there. Family still together. Relationships. Kids are, are doing healthy. awesome. Kids are doing awesome. You know, my kids took it and, you know, Sadie took it and just hit it out of the park. You know, she speaks all over the world and, but really showing her faith and so, and has that platform and she's so gifted. I'm yeah. just like, man, she's 21. You know, I'm like, golly, I wish I'd have been, that. I wish I'd have had that confidence, you know, because I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I look at her like, it's like everything I'd wanted to be and, and speaking, and you know, I thought I was going to be a preacher. That's probably what I figured yeah. I would end up is being a preacher, and which is funny. I've been able to preach to thousands of more people not being a preacher. Yeah, through the show, so yeah. I get invited to churches and I get all kind of groups, and I'm able to tell our story, which is such an important story for us, Don, because my dad, this was the worst guy. I mean, I said we moved here running from the law. He was a terrible dad. He was abusive. He was a terrible husband, uh, adulterer. I mean, just just a bad guy. The guy you just didn't want to be around. I didn't know anything about Christianity, but I knew some guy. I went up there, preached to him. He came down and said, I'm going to give my life to Jesus Christ. Now, as a four-year-old kid, I saw him totally change. And when he went all in, he went all in. So we see this drastic life change. And then... I'm like, whatever that is, that's the most positive thing. Now mom's not crying. We're all together. He's back, you know. So that's why we never gave up on our faith because we it wouldn't have happened without right. that. And that so was the foundation. it fundamentally changed our family. And now we had this loving family. I was like, wow, he was a, he's a different person. And then it changed our lives. But if you think about that, now you go 40 years later, 
that one guy coming to the Lord like has impacted millions of people. So that's why I never give up on anybody because you, yeah. you never know what... I mean, Sadie, millions of people, she does that, but you go back to that one. If that guy doesn't come, I'm in a single home family. There's no Duck Commander. There's no Duck Dynasty. I don't know what happens to us. And so we give and all no the glory. Yeah, we give all the glory to God because we're like, he changed my dad. He ended up changing us, made our lives better. And I think that's really why our family stuck together because we really believe yeah. <laughs> what we believe. You know, that's what we believe. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with Willie Robertson in just a moment. Hey, is anybody developing you? Is anybody coaching you? Is anybody making sure that you are becoming a better professional? Two years from now, will you be more valuable on the open market because of the work that you've done and what you have learned about business? When I go to interview somebody to hire them, I want to know what do they know that I don't know. I want to know, are they wise or do they make dumb decisions? And that's going to be, that all comes down to whether or not they've actually developed themselves or somebody else has developed them. Ask yourself this question, has my boss or the people I work with, are they developing me? Are they sending me to conferences, to seminars? Are they giving me online courses that I can learn? Do I have a brighter future? because of the way I'm developing myself? If the answer is no, go to businessmadesimple.com and for free, I'm going to develop you. I'm literally going to send you a five-minute video every weekday morning, a five-minute video every weekday morning that is designed to either make you money, save you money, and advance your professional career to make you a better professional. Businessmadesimple.com. I'll send you that video every single weekday morning. Pour yourself a cup of coffee, Watch a video for five minutes, and you're going to be smarter to start the day. Businessmadesimple.com. What does success look like? We're in the entrepreneurial business, if you will. We get these things started because we want to be successful. We want to, you want to, but what you define it a little bit differently. What does success look like for you? Well, I tell the story. I think you just said a lot. Of I say, growing up, I said we all thought we were successful because we got to work where we didn't have to shave and didn't have to wear a suit and didn't. I mean, nobody really cared if you shower or not. Yeah. So I was like, we thought we were the most successful people ever. I was like, the thought of me having to wear a suit and tie every day. It's the worst. I mean, yeah. and be in a building where I have to sit in an office. I have to be there. It's like I would feel like a caged animal. Like just so to me, successful is to be able to do what we do, how we want to do it, but also help people. Like I think super successful people help other people. I always say like I enjoy making money, but I love giving it away. Like I yeah. love seeing something that I'm like there is a need, and we can help you with this. And that's awesome, and, and serving others. And so that's the way I see success. It's not, I think there is guilt. I was praying the other day, I was on my property, I was like, what is that? I'm looking around, going, this is all this stuff. And I was just like, God just literally was like, you know what? You've done something. You're going to have a lot of stuff, and you're going to be able to look around and see that. And I just look at it and say, I don't know why, God, you chose this. <laughs> he just said, but you did it because there's no way. I mean, we, we're not smart enough, Don. We don't. I have a PE degree that <laughs> is a non-certified PE degree, which means I can't teach PE. But I have a degree that says PE. But you know all about it. That's my degree. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also went to seminary. And I went to seminary for one year. Yeah. Uh, one year. So I was a seminary dropout because I went, and Corey, we started dating. And Corey said, well, I got to go to college. And I'm like, I ain't going to college. And 
She's like, well, I got to. <laughs> like, my parents had just kind of set up. Where's the dad in Arkansas? I said, bye. You know, this is over. So she left, and I was like, that's over. So about a week later, I called her. I was like, where's this college? <laughs> so I went up there, and then we decided we wanted to get married, and I was like, she goes, you need to go to college. Dad wants you to go to college as well. So I said, all right, I'll go to college. So, you know, ended up going to college and got my non-certified PE degree. But I'm glad I got the degree because I've hired people that don't have degrees, and I've hired people who do have degrees. People who have degrees are way better at finishing stuff. Because you don't graduate college, with, you've got to be able to finish something. Yeah. So I've got some dudes who are really good at duck call making, but man, I mean, they're not good finish, you know, so right. having people complete tasks. And so, but dad never pushed us to really go to school. I mean, he was never pushed on our grades. Yeah. Corey says, dad hotwired us to God. When we were about 12 years old, he said, whatever you do, it needs to be biblical and please God and you'll please me. And there were pretty much no rules after that. So we did, he goes, here's the deal. You want to make really good grades? You know, you can make them. You want to get a C? That's fine by me. You make really bad grades, you're going to have a bad job one day. <laughs> that, that was it. Yeah. It was like, so get Other out. Other than that, you have creative license. Nobody ever asked me to do my homework. Nobody ever. In fact, I went to school in 10th grade. I started high school. And we had a choice of which school I wanted to go to. I went to school for about a week. And I was like, I don't like this place. So I switched schools. I started going to another school. So a month later, the original school calls my parents and said, uh, where's Willie been? He hasn't been at school for a month. And Dad goes, I don't know. He leaves out here somewhere. I don't know where he's going. <laughs> I forgot to tell them I was yeah, switched schools. Yeah, schools. And he says, so I come home. Dad said, where were you at? And I said, school. He said, no, school called and said you didn't go. I said, oh, shoot, I forgot to tell you. I switched schools. He's like, hey, no problem. That has to be formative, <laughs> too. I mean, you've got a patriarch who's saying, all right, keep it within the boundaries. But other than that, you got creative that license. It. Live how you want to live. Do Don't you, hurt anybody. Don't honor hurt God. anybody. Make money. If you want a good job, go after it. It seems like wanna, that's how He didn't you, push us to go to college. He didn't push us to really do, you know, it's like whatever you want to do. And he had his master's degree because they grew up super poor. And all of them got degrees because they were like, we're coming out of where we, you know, got out yeah. of. And so, uh, but he said, hey, you want to, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. But serve the Lord and keep his commandments. Because, again, we're all moving. That to- explains your whole everything now. Uh, <laughs> everything finally, makes sense. Finally, Don says, I finally get you. Willie, thanks so much. The book is called American Entrepreneur. We just love the vision that you have and what you've accomplished. But more than just the business and all that kind of stuff, which is super fun for all of us. The family, the faith, holding it all together, that's being it. the real deal. I think that's what it's all about. Yeah, like, I, I think it is inspiring. So what I did was just took a lot of people and said, here's their stories. And, and you can pull from it. You know, Have you, Did you collect these over a long period of time? Did you? No, we just went and researched businesses and researched. How that get started. Yeah, and just because it wasn't like, oh, these people were successful. I want to know where they came from. Like some are rich, some are poor. Some were What did they have in common? Some they had an unbelievable work ethic. I mean, drive, and drive, even drive, if they drive, failed, drive, they, drive. they were driven and said, and, and when they did fail, they stepped back up and they kept going. But I was just fascinated by it. They came from all different backgrounds. Some were young, some were old. I think far too many people go like, ah, I kind of missed it. You know, like, right. you're sitting here, you know, I'm 46 years old, like, pretty much done. Where Phil was with Duck Commander, like, it's over. I mean, Vanderbilt switched on a dime, <laughs> dominated one business, and then said, now nah, I'm going to go take on 
you know, so, uh, railroads. You know, I don't want yeah. to go do this. And so where he had, and he was almost 70 years old. And so, Is there a specific entrepreneur here that you most identify with that was most inspirational to you? I mean, Carnegie was somebody that I, that was fascinating to come over to this country from Scotland, be poor, and just, I mean, work his way up. So I, when he worked his way up and just the jobs he did and, you know, and ended up then with, with steel. So you would think, well, that's a, yeah, it's a great product. And, but the ways he marketed it was awesome. It was like, yeah. he sent an elephant across a bridge. Like, that's how strong my steel. You know, it was yeah, reminding yeah, me of yeah, that, yeah. like, you know, hey, listen to this duck call. And so uh, I was able to go to Scotland, Corey and I, last year. And uh, we were able to stay in in Skibo Castle, where he went and stayed as well. And so it's kind of cool. It was like yeah. the book had just come out, and I was literally yeah. at the place. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great, you know, stories in there. But but ones like that, where they came from nothing, you know. Yeah. I mean, people that come from money, that's that's one thing. And, I, and it is hard. I think it's uh, there's a bunch of people in here, generationally, they lost it all. I mean, right. they, somebody came up and did something big, and then they lost it all. But, you know, that coming from nothing, to me, that's the American, you know. Yeah. I came from nothing, and... Uh, you know, this country is so great because you still can, like, we were living on a dead-end dirt road. It just looked like nothing. It was like, how would you ever, you know, mm-hmm. how would you ever think that you would be, you know, somebody that's recognizable or not? So uh, still give God the glory. I, th- I still think he just said, you know what, I'm going to bless you guys with this, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And so we just try to glorify him and everything we do. That's awesome. Willie, thanks. Cool. Thank you. JJ, that's fun. So fun. The key to a good duck call is double reads. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that's Who a real, knew? yeah, Who that's knew? a real like picture of the way somebody's mind works and what they're interested in. They're like, yeah. there should be two reads in this duck call. Yeah. I can, I can improve this. <laughs> I can improve it. That's pretty awesome. Super fun. Willie, Corey, thank you so much for your hospitality. Oh, what a beautiful family. Corey's going into, she wants to produce more movies. There's a Broadway musical. It's not a Broadway musical. It opened in Vegas. I don't know if it's gotten to Broadway yet, but it's about the family. Yeah. Just talk about creativity. Yeah. That's a fun family. Yeah. Everybody's doing what they love doing. And there's hard days. There's days I'm sure they cry themselves to sleep because of the challenge of this whole yeah. thing. But they get up and do it again because they love it. Yeah. May we all find something that we love that much. Also, yeah, I just want to say again, Willie's got a new book called American Entrepreneur. It's going to be very inspirational to you. It's just story after story after story about people who overcame hard things because of their passion. And they built a business that made them millionaires and trillionaires and gazillionaires, just like you're going to be if you follow your passion, <laughs> as long as it's monetized. Yes. <laughs> hey, listen, you know, next time somebody says, but my passion, you can't make any money, I'm going to say, double reads in a duck call. <laughs> you just couldn't predict this stuff. Yeah. You cannot imagine where it's going to take you. You cannot imagine. You just have to love climbing. Yeah. You just have to love going up and up and up. And you just can't imagine how beautiful the view is going to be. Yeah. Hopefully this was an inspirational podcast for you. Make sure to share it with your friends. JJ, once again, congratulations. Thank you very Dr. much, Dr. JJ Peterson, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> the world's leading academic on the story brand framework. We couldn't have chosen a better person to do that for us. I certainly would have never written a dissertation. <laughs> <laughs> they would have said, uh, you have 93 errors in this. And I'm like, but wait, hold on. Let me make you cry. <laughs> oh, I did. Oh, I did. <laughs> Music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's latest record, Dive Deep Hushed, on Spotify or on iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to make a better duck call. <laughs>